every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the tree. Stop and hear what I say. As we head on around back, we come around the circle. We find Mr. John Eisenhower sharpening his pruners this morning and getting ready to get into a little fall trimming. It is Talking Trees, second Saturday of the month, 8 o'clock hour, the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the House. You can join the conversation at one 767 4348 That's one 888 rosie you. When the auto attendant answers, just press the number one button, bypass the message. That'll put you into the studio. Text questions can be sent to 411-923 or you want a little help with tree leaf identification, you can snap a picture and email it to info at rosyonthehouse.com. Mr. Eisenhower. Yeah, speaking of of, uh, sharpening pruning shears, you know, that's a good idea to do that. Really is. Put a nice little edge on those hand pruners or those loppers. And a little bit of oil just to lubricate them, keep them, uh, and it makes a lot of difference. I was looking at mine the other day, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say they're pretty darn dull, you know. <laughs> They've been used, and I forget to get, you know, put a good edge on them, you know. But it's it's really nice to take a little extra, a few minutes, just like, you know, takes Please. a, better to, to, to invest a few minutes in sharpening a tool than to use it, you know, you know, swinging away, swinging with a dull axe is just a waste of time. You know, and it and leaves energy. a lot nicer, cleaner cut on the tree. You Absolutely. don't end up with it half broken off or peeling off additional bark you weren't planning on. Or well, five minutes, you know, of of time put in on sharpening a nice axe will save you twenty minutes cutting that piece of wood or that tree down. It's a little easier on your hands too. A little easier on your hands. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was well, my special guest, Sarah Maitland, just chimed in. Sarah is a consulting arborist who works with our company, and she's just an amazing friend and a partner, uh, not in crime, in uh, arboriculture. Now, are arborists like wildfire hotshots? Do you have to send arborists to the Gulf Coast now? Because <laughs> they got a mess of down trees right now this morning. I'm telling you oh, that for yeah. sure. Yeah, no, they do put out an APB to all the arborists. Do they really? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. The the main tree uh, trade associations put out a a message to all. In in advance of these hurricanes, we had a big notification that came down when the the big uh, hurricane hit the – or the big storm hit the the northeast a few months ago. And, yeah, we get tree services all over the country that converge on those areas. To try to help out, dig them out. Yeah, because it, it does take a lot of special uh, skills to be able to safely remove trees from power lines and from homes and get people dug out from these big storms. Ay, ay, ay. Yes, sir. Which we haven't had any of here in Arizona. We're under our uh, annual raindrop. <laughs> <laughs> and your talking points here just about the long, hot, extended summer. Yeah, we haven't had much uh, rain at all. It's been a non-soon, if there ever was one. And, you know, it's not just the excessive heat that we had this summer, but now it's the persistent heat. You know, these uh, uh, plants that that have been struggling, you keep waiting for that reprieve. We talked a little bit about it last month, where the little bit cooler temperatures really help our trees have a kind of a little renaissance. But this has been amazing. Since last month, it's been continually hot. You know, deep into October is 
you know, uh, when you don't, you, you're not normally seeing 100 degree days. But it is, you know, not uncommon. You know, we get these every now and then, but this is one of those years and it's really taken a toll. We were talking a little bit about just the pine trees. There's one that we saw yesterday that we did some work in and it's just a shame that these big old uh, Aleppo pines, which are one of the biggest trees in our, la- in our, in our local landscape here in Phoenix, uh, to see those start declining and dying is, is, is really troublesome. And it seems like if they're going back when replanting a pine, they're switching them all to Afghan. Yeah, the Afghans are a, are a really popular replacement tree, and, and they do uh, they grow a little faster, a little more um, predictable in their, in their shape and size. And, uh, yeah, they're a, they're a beautiful um, a replacement tree for pines. I like them a lot. We have a lot of other trees being affected by the heat. Um, we've had a lot of mites just taking down bottle trees. Um, and the, Cal- uh, the Brazilian peppers are just kind of melting. The queen palms are really struggling with the heat. And that's a long-term issue with our climate change. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of uh, um, just damage to trees. And as Sarah's pointing out, then insects are a secondary issue, too. And what we, we, in our industry, we have a, a term we uh, refer to as a mortality spiral. And that is when a plant uh, begins to, due to various factors, start to decline. Um, and at every turn of that mortality, that downward mortality spiral, uh, the different factors are coming into play. For instance, you've got excessive heat, um, some defoliation as a result leading to some sunburn. Now that the tree is, has less foliage to protect itself from the sun, sun gets into the bark, into, into those major areas of the trunk and some of the main stems. Once that bark is sun, sun damaged, it can't conduct water and nutrients. So the, the canopy thins out even further. So you get this vicious cycle of sunburn, thinning canopy, more sunburn, thinning canopy, and then the insects come in. The flat-headed borers, for instance, they attack that dead wood. And it, before you know it, these trees are pretty deep in that mortality spiral. It's pretty hard to pull them out at that point. But we don't like to see that. Once we, arborists can kind of come in and diagnose those issues, but hopefully you, we've done it at an early enough stage in that mortality spiral that we can improve the, the growing conditions, maybe put some shade cloth on a tree to prevent that late afternoon sun from causing any further damage. And sometimes you can pull those trees out of that mortality spiral and and uh, get them back to good health. And you, when you're talking about sunburn, it seems like you're a, a more of a fan of wrapping some kind of shade cloth around the tree as opposed to, you know, one of the tree paints. Or... I am, yeah. The, the tree paint uh, is, is, is nice to have as sort of a secondary measure but it isn't really a sunblock. It only lowers the surface temperature at the bark by a degree or two. So if you're talking about 100, and if the tree is going to be susceptible to burning at 110 degrees, um, and you're only reducing that by a, a degree or two, you're really not significantly helping the tree. We prefer putting a, a piece of shade cloth over the entire canopy of the tree. That allows a little bit of sunlight to get in to keep the photosynthesis active. So the tree can continue to grow, uh, but uh, but yet providing a little bit of shade just takes the edge off that. That would reduce the, the surface temperature to the trunk, you know, significantly five to ten degrees, as opposed to just a one or two degrees. 
by so, putting that shade cloth over the entire canopy of the tree. You know, you, you, it's basically you know what, what we see during the winter time when everyone puts their blankets out over their trees. The it's, frost cloth. It, it's a the complete it's opposite, the opposite of a sun cloth. That's right. And if you got a larger tree and you can't you can't put a a a shade cloth over the entire tree, then you could wrap individual branches with a burlap wrap. There's some burlap wrap available, or a tree a tree wrap is available in some of the hardware stores as well. And that's a, another method. Pro- the problem with that is it actually can keep uh, uh, s- small sprouts from emerging uh, from the, those uh, bark surfaces. So there's some drawbacks to using just a, a tree wrap. And, you know, of course, you need to be careful you don't wrap it so tight that it starts to girdle some of those branches. You don't want to leave it on for years, a year, you know, year after year. What we prefer to do is once the sun starts dropping a little lower in the sky in the, in the late fall, winter, pull the wrap off, let the trees to ha- have a, a break. And, uh, and then again, in the, if you need to, in the spring, you can rewrap it again. If left alone, many of the trees will naturally grow and to shade themselves and their own bark. But the, what do we do? We come around every year or twice a year and we cut it up so we've got, you know, a, a different shape and a different style and something something to walk <laughs> underneath. You know, we don't let it grow its own natural sunscreen. Right. And you, you don't want to do that to citrus especially. A lot of people want to make your, your little shrub-like citrus tree look more like a tree. So you start limbing up and taking all those lower branches off so you can see more of the trunk. Just be careful that you don't do that. You want to be, have enough of a canopy of branches that it will shade the, the trunk with those branches. So. And the fruit's easier to get. And the fruit is better. The lower, big, heavy branches are the, the best fruit. I, I'm, I never heard that one before. Oh, yeah. The, the low, oh, okay. Yeah. That's where you want to develop your canopy, that's, and that's where you get really good fruit. That's your, that's your juice and oranges down there. Yeah, you can have it up off the ground, but let it shade the roots, and those lower branches are, are really productive. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, we've got a little bit of, of, of uh, uh, other tree tips we want to talk about today. We've got some pruning tips and some frost. Um, I want to talk a little bit about frost damage and a lot about lawns, about reducing your water. Got some fertilization, got some planting recommendations. So where do you want to start, Rome? You I know, mean, we've, let, let's just real quick uh, touch on the tree of the month before we jump into all the okay, other okay. to-dos. I, I've not heard of the Canyon Hackberry. Well, it is a very cool plant, and I'm going to let Sarah kind of take the lead on this because she's uh, um, has some expertise in the Celtis reticulata. Oh, it's a very, very fun tree. And for the first eight or ten years of its life, it has a smooth bark, and then it starts to develop these really knotty little nodules, and it's it's really a nice bark until it reaches the 30-inch size, and then the the bumps disappear on the low, lower trunk. But you can see this tree um, in in nature. You go down around the border of Mexico um, at Sasabi. Um, they're 30-inch trunks, and they just live without any natural water, or just natural water. And they're magnificent. Um, and they, they got a little bit of a papery kind of a scratchy leaf to it. But it's a big leaf, and they are um, native, most of the western states, from Texas all the way across the western things, mostly in riparian areas. So they do require a little bit of um, summer irrigation. 
if you um, if you want to keep them doing well. Really good for wildlife. A lot of berries, and they they grow pretty moderately, but more on the slow side. What's what's a typical size that you'd see in someone's yard? Um, you know, you see them usually around a ten or twelve inch trunk um, is what I've been seeing, and they're they're just not used well enough. Um, and it's usually a secondary tree in a, in a yard, but it can really be a prominent tree. They're kind of funky, weird in their shape, so it's not an upright lollipop. Um, but but they do um, fit into the landscape well. Yes. Now you said they down by the border. You know that's a lot higher elevation than Phoenix and Correct. Tucson. Can you bring those into the lower desert elevation and get a a thirty inch trunk out of them? Well, we were trying to. Uh, decide you know, talking this morning if we can even we if we if we've even even seen them at nurseries locally and you don't see them that often but i think that they're going to be uh, more commonly found in a little bit higher elevations some of the high desert here in town the cave creek carefree area they grow naturally beautiful Arizona Saturday morning. We're going to start this segment with John and Litchfield Park. If you'd like to talk trees, one 767 4348 That's one 888 for you Press the number one button when you hear the auto attendant. That'll put you into the studio and we'll get your general area and the question you have. Uh, John's it actually was ties into exactly what you guys were talking about with uh, grasses and lawns and winter changing during the break. And he uh, you know, I'll let him ask it. John, go ahead with your question, sir. Yes, good morning. I've got um, some velvet mesquite trees, and I've got a grass backyard. And my plan is to put eventually put a pool back in the backyard to mix it with the with the grass. And kind of, I want it like a natural looking, and I, I'd like to have some a natural canopy with trees. And I see the velvet mesquite is just a beautiful tree, but I was wondering how would that mix with the grass backyard? Well, you know, I've actually seen uh, them do pretty well together. You know, your grass is going to struggle. Wherever you have trees and grass together, you're going to have some competition for sunlight. So you've got some issues with um, the the grass being uh, healthy, uh, with trees canopying over them, with a, a, a weeping growth habit of a of a spreading uh, tree like a mesquite, you'll have a lot of uh, pods dropping that you'll have to be raking, and of course just the shade issue. Uh, but there, I've I've seen them work together, uh, but you do have a challenge um, once they get established uh, to have an adequate sunlight to keep that grass nice and healthy underneath them. Gotcha, but I mean. The the watering from the grass will not be too much water. Oh no, mesquite? no, no. Most mesquites will turn every bit of that water into leaf surface, and they'll, they'll really take off on you. Yeah, they don't have a filter. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so they might get too big then. Yeah, p- very possibly, and and then unfortunately, as they do get uh, bigger, they'll compete with the with the grass for sunlight, and you may have just a a, a dirt a floor underneath those trees. Um, and we've, yeah, there, there are some, you know, low light, uh, turf varieties that you could try to put in there, fescue and others that people have tried, uh, with, um, uh, some success, but 
um, it's a challenge for sure. Once you get a tree big enough to enjoy that nice canopy, that nice shade, there's very seldom enough sunlight to keep the grass uh, healthy. Now, a couple things you can do with that, John. You could just not worry about Bermuda. Let it go in the summertime and do a, a winter rye grass, and you'll have a green grass October to about May. You know that that does. They're not nearly as affected by the sunlight on the rye or artificial turf. We've seen a lot of applications where under a nice canopy, people will put an artificial turf, so you've got that grass feel. You can sit under it, and enjoy it, and you never have to mow. Yeah, and a lot of people are putting in um, alternate ground covers. You know, like we have uh, some lipia that we've just allowed to overtake a part of our grass or in one part of our, our yard, and um, others are putting in some other types of uh, uh, low-lying ground covers, which do much better um, in those low-light settings. And there's another tip on here at the very end of your notes that we did to all of our trees, and that's just put a bunch of wood chips around it. We... <laughs> We, yeah. we had dump trucks come and dump huge loads and rented a skid steer and spread it out. And all of our trees now have a huge canopy of wood chips around them. And they're not bad to sit in. It's a great alternative to trying to grow grass under the mesquite. Um, but going back to the mesquite tree in the turf, um, there's different varieties that grow well in turf. Um, you have an oak tree or an ash. You know, the ash love the water. Oaks will take a little bit more water than they need. Mesquites will just take it all. They have no filter. They're not going to say, oh, here's a little water. They're just going to suck it up and grow like crazy. And, and so I might recommend against the mesquite in the turf. Yeah, I think the, uh, the oak is a great choice because it also has, at least the cathedral variety of live oak, has more of an upright growth pattern too. So it will be casting a little bit less shade. But they are a beautiful tree. You could plant a little cluster of those in there. It might be better than one larger mesquite. And what about other desert varieties like a Palo Verde or Ironwood or a Texas Ebony? Probably steer away from Palo Verde. Yeah, anything native is just not used to the daily water. Okay. All right, well, we appreciate the call, John. Hope that helps. We've got John and Mesa on the line next. We'll get after the bottom of the hour news. Wants to talk about, ooh, this will be fun. Should he, I'm, I'm guessing by the notes, should he go with a red push pistache or a ficus? So we'll talk about that along with your other talking trees uh, to do for October here at Rosie on the House. one 767 to join the conversation. Your trees got you stumped? Call in your question, 1-888-767-4348. When you hear the auto attendant, press 1. That's one 888 rosie for you if they're hanging. Yeah. 1-888-767-4348. That's one rosie for you how John got online, along with Emilio and Tucson. And we're going to go straight to the calls right now. We had additional lawns to talk about, but we were just talking during the break how much and in-depth that was covered last time y'all were in on September 12th. So if you're planning on overseeding, that's a great podcast to go listen to it. Rosieonthehouse.com slash radio. Just select the uh, the September 12th Talking Trees podcast and you go into a lot of detail about uh, you know making sure you get your trees pruned so you're not dragging 
limbs across your overseeded lawn and uh, a lot of additional great tips. But uh, we're going to get straight to the calls because they're online and waiting to talk to John. John in Mesa. Hello? Let me introduce you to John Eisenhower. Hi, John. How are you doing? Good. How can we help you today? I had to remove a big uh, Alipo pine this week, and we're thinking about replacing it. And um, I've got a couple of things I'd like to ask you. Which one would you do? Would you do a ficus tree, or would you do the red, the red pistachio tree? And can I ask I you like a, those. a question, John? At the beginning of the segment, yeah. or I don't know if it was off air, but you were talking about a big Aleppo pine that's you were working on to, to try and save, but it's on its way out. What, what killed your Aleppo oh, pine, oh. do you know? Well, yeah, it was a. It's a pathogen called sooty canker, and it's. Uh, uh, we found it in several pines across Phoenix in the last year or two, and it's. Uh, yeah, it's taken down a big tree. But is is that what got yours, John? Yes, uh, I think I believe so. It just went away for a week, came back, and it was just all brown. And I had soaked it. I soak it once a month. You know, I let the hose run on it overnight. And this time I left it run like two nights, and that was about uh, two, three weeks ago. And when I get back, it's just all brown. It's, I don't know, it's, uh, it's been 35 years old, so it's, I think it's had its time. Well, you know, when you describe those symptoms as, you know, the tree was alive a week ago and it's, it, you came back and it's, it's dead, it's all gone brown, that sounds very much like a, a Texas no- root rot? Yeah, yeah, Texas root rot, another uh, very common uh, a problem in a, a, a very virulent disease uh, pathogen that uh, kills the root system of the plant, and then it 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 immediately you'll see the dieback and the the trees collapse almost overnight. Uh, if you have uh, it, that, it's it's not just pines that are susceptible. There's a lot of other tree varieties that uh, Chinese elms and African sumacs, bottle trees, are really susceptible. And what, one of the main symptoms, uh, in addition to the, uh, the, the, the quick, almost rapid death of the, of the tree, where one day it's alive and it almost seems like within a day or two it's completely browned out or gone orange, is that the leaves persist on the branches. If you have a tree that, that dies very, very rapidly within just a couple of days, and then the, the leaves don't drop, they just stay on the branches, that's another um, <clears throat> very uh, typical symptom of Texas root rot. And there's no cure for it once you the, you have the above ground, uh, you know, uh, browning of the leaves. Uh, the root system has been completely compromised, and the tree's gonna has to be taken out. But sorry to hear about that. But back to your original question on uh, whether we would choose a ficus or a, a a Chinese, I mean, a Chinese pistache. I would go with the red push pistache. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, um, ficus are g- gonna continually have trouble with the heat. And with the sooty canker and also with frost. Yeah, yeah, they, they are frost sensitive. And <clears throat> the, the, the pistache is just such a beautiful tree. We put one in our front yard about seven or eight years ago. And we, it, we, it's just glorious. It's a beautiful, beautiful round, round-shaped shade tree and really uniform in size and appearance and just amazing. Um, and it, it is fully deciduous as opposed to the, the, the ficus. The benefit of the ficus is it, it is a evergreen and it will, it will hold its leaves all year long. If you uh, want that, maybe the ficus would be a, a good choice. But if you want a deciduous tree that will lose its leaves in the, in the late fall, early winter, uh, Romy was saying his trees sometimes don't start losing their leaves till December. So sometimes in, because of our mild climate here, we don't have these really severe winters. 
Uh, trees don't even have a – they're even called semi-deciduous because they have a very short dormancy. I mean, they, they lose their leaves in December and they put them back on in January. I mean, like within a few weeks, they're already putting on their spring growth. And it's been a long time. You'd have to go back in the archives to, I think it was 2007 when we had the last hard freeze. We got so tired of taking my ficus tree is dying questions. We just, we wouldn't even let them back on the air. We would just, what's your email? We'll send you a link. We've talked about this every Saturday for the past month. Cause well, that's the warning. That's the warning. About every 70 years or so, we'll get a very deep frost. And then all those people with the younger ficus trees uh, um, lose all their trees. It's terrible. But if you have a, a, an established tree that's five, you know, three to five years old, chances are it'll get severely frost damaged, but it will grow back. But it's those younger ones that are under three years of age that they can die all the way to the ground. And that's a shame if you put in 50 of them in the backyard as a privacy screen and lose them all. It can be devastating. So there's your unanimous vote, John and Mesa, red push over a ficus. And is he going to have to do anything if it is a Texas root rot? to that soil, or is that not going to affect this other tree? It's probably a really good idea to get some pathology testing done on the roots because Texas root rot is something that um, is in our soil in pockets around the valley, and it's usually very deep in the soil, and it, it stays dormant even up to 10 years. And then when the environment is perfect and the host is there and the pathogen is present, it becomes active, and it's usually cooking in the roots there for a while before you see the the heart attack or the massive collapse of the tree. But you you have to be very selective on what you put back in that spot if it is Texas root rot. The only thing that's really immune is palm trees, which are monocots. Um, otherwise, there's um, a U of A um, extension office has a list of resistant trees. Um, but uh, we've seen people replant and replant and replant in the same spot, and the trees just don't make it because of the Texas root rot. And so that test, is that something that Save-A-Tree offers? Yeah, we, we would go out and collect samples, um, soil and roots and shoots, and we send it all into a lab, and you get, you get a diagnosis. And it just gives you a good place to start. All right, Wonderful. From Mesa to Tucson, Emilio, welcome to the program. I've got a, I got a question about. I've got a friend, my neighbor here, that's uh, got a big fig tree, and I wanted to get a big cutting from from the tree and put it in the ground. Will that grow from like a, you know like regular? Uh, will it grow that way? You know, I'm not sure you can you can grow. Um, a, a, a cutting from an above ground part of the tree. What I would try to do is 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 figs often put up uh, a lot of little sprouts from around the base of the tree. If you can get any sort of amount of the root system, they're very easy to propagate from those smaller little little plants that come up from around the base of the tree. So see if he can give you um, a portion that you can dig out and take some roots. Sometimes the branches of like our fig tree that grow down into the soil. Once they hit the soil, they'll actually send out, send down some roots, and there's little portions of the tree that you could dig out. But um, I, I'm not certain about being able to uh, uh, take uh, branches off of a fig tree and, and put them in the soil. It, it's the milky sap that that makes it difficult to root if you get too woody of a, of a cutting. Well, there you go. We appreciate the call. And let's move now to Scott and Phoenix, who would like to talk about ironwood trees. Welcome to the program. 
Yeah, I have a jacaranda that I'm thinking about replacement with an ironwood, but I don't know anything about ironwood. And that, that was my question. A little information about them. Are they very expensive? Do they drop a ton of leaves? Those type of questions. Uh, and ironwood is an excellent choice going into our hot temperatures and, and the increased climate that we should be expecting over the next decades. It's a native tree, has a beautiful fuchsia, kind of pink flower in the spring, usually in May. Um, and they're very slow growing, um, but very sturdy, very good good choice of a tree. Yeah, I like them a lot too. The, they're not going to be as fast growing as the hybrid mesquite or Palo Verde, but they're, they're really durable. And the, some of the new uh, cultivars are, are pretty, actually pretty fast growing, faster growing than maybe, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. Um, I think that there are some, uh, some now that have longer internodal growth or cultivated so that they're, they're actually putting on a little bit longer uh, branches. And uh, yeah, I think you'll be really happy with that choice. And if you- a lot of people don't like them because they are slow growing, but it, it, the slower they're growing, the hardier the tree can be in a desert climate. And we never get calls here of somebody saying, my ironwood is dying. My ironwood is this. <laughs> my ironwood is overtaking that. And yeah, they have out, really... Out in the desert, I, in my opinion, they're the prettiest native tree. Yeah, they have some really nice branch structure, and they do have some thorns. So you, that that's a, if that's a... Um, uh, something you need to be concerned about in terms of, of proximity to a sidewalk or uh, you're going to be brushing up against them uh, on a regular basis. Maybe not a good choice from that standpoint, but they're a, a beautiful tree. You'll enjoy that. Let's get through a couple of these uh, to-dos that you have here, and then we've got a handful of text questions that we'll rifle through fast. Well, I just wanted to just mention that this is a time of year you want to start reducing your water. You know, Because of our lower overnight temperatures, you don't need to be um, uh, running your sprinkler timers at the same rate you had. You can almost drop down to almost 50% of, of the timing. Um, and uh, again, probably better to go deeper and, and, and stretch out the frequency, you know, the duration between your, uh, your cycles. Um, if you're watering every three days, you might want to start watering every five days and, and keeping at that same depth of saturation. So don't just shorten up the time and, and, and shallow out the watering better to just extend the time between cycles. That's a better approach. Also, a good time to uh, put down some fall fertilization. They say if you're going to do an annual fertilization, fall fertil- fertilizing is the best in terms of just uh, improving the root system, uh, getting, giving the, the, getting the trees into the winter uh, so that they have a really nice good push uh, of growth in the summer, in the spring. We also reduce the nitrogen content in our fertilizers and and, and, and raise the f- potassium and phosphorus to really give um, a, a really good um, uh, massage, if you will, to the root system as we turn the corner into the cooler weather and our dormancy. And then, as I said, it'll give a really nice uh, preparation for a spring push um, next year. Now, real quick on the fertilizing, we put down a bunch of wood chips. And this is a personal question, sorry. <laughs> Uh, the granule fertilizer, can I put it on top of the wood chips and it'll still find its way down? Or is that all pretty much irrelevant and I've got to switch to some kind of liquid in line, which well, I planned to do anyway. I just hadn't got to it yet. Well, if we had more frequent uh, rain, rain it, it would be – I'd, I'd say that's not a problem at all. But because of our infrequent rain, you know, you might want to just water it in after you do. You can put it on right over the top of the wood chips, but you should probably water it in with a hose 
or uh, or rake or rake it in. You know, you could actually you know, uh, you know just rake over the top of the mulch to shake it down into. The, you want it to hit that that soil surface, and um, and it will be available for the next irrigation cycle. Talking Trees with ISA Certified Arborist John Eisenhower and Sarah Maitland. We've got a few more talking points to hit here. Uh, real quick, uh, Texter wanted to know about a lemon tree that branch looks like it's a non-fruit-bearing branch. Now, I don't know what a non-fruit-bearing branch looks like, but it's only one years old. And on citrus, you're not getting fruit till two or three, four years even. So just I would tell them to leave that tree alone, let it develop a few more years. I would guess I would look at where the branch is coming from because lemons typically um, have rootstock that shoots up from the base and um, citrus trees are grafted and anything that comes from below the graft is a rootstock and not actually the fruit bearing part of the tree. It normally will grow like a whip really high up through the canopy and have a, a bigger thorn and a different shape leaf and so those need to be taken out. So could be a rootstock. And the faster you get them out, the better, because a lot of times they can start growing and, and compete with the, mm-hmm. the grafted part of the, the trunk. I've seen that a couple times where it, it was just hidden really well in the middle because we don't trim our trees up. We let them grow down. And, and one it, of those was hidden in there. Uh-huh. Yeah, we've had that happen several times with ours, too. And, and w- one of our customers has one that's about half the tree. And it's really been hard because we've been cutting it back slowly because I didn't want to open the open the tree up to too much sunburn because it was unfortunately on the south side of the tree so we've been cutting that 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 big sucker back it's about you know 12 feet tall and we're getting it back it's slowly you know within it's been about a three-year process we're just about ready so the other trees the other part of the tree the sweet fruit portion is starting to to you know take over that space again and then we've got somebody that wants to plant the chinese elm is now a good time oh it's a great time yeah yeah, right on through the. In fact, they're a deciduous tree. You could plant them in the, typically in the in the in, during dormancy, but no, it's it's a great time to to, to plant a, a Chinese elm. Another good tree. That's one of my favorite trees. Just and in like, a couple of years, it'll be big enough to put Christmas tree lights on, which is something y'all wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We were talking about planting trees. If you're going to put those nice trees in your yard, you know, you might want to uh, decorate them a little bit. Um, and prune them correctly for that also. But um, Save a Trees is offering our new holiday decor. And the trees just, it just lights up a tree and a house. And um, they sell wreaths and garland. But you can put lights all the way up the trunk of your tree. Then you can do the branches. And you can do the, actually the whole canopy of the tree. And just have a, a real focal point walking up and driving by your house. Um, I have this big pile of of Christmas lights in my garage and I'm looking at them now like this is just junk compared to the elegance and stuff that of the holiday decor that we're going to be starting to offer at Save a Tree. Yeah, it does make um that that um box of of unpredictable lights. It seems like every year I pull out those those string of lights and one of them doesn't work. And it's just so frustrating. <laughs> you got just a mishmash of of colored lights and white lights and different ones. And, yeah, I, uh, we are not the envy of the neighborhood. That's all I can say. <laughs> and if you're – go ahead. I was just going to ask, John, I'm really interested now. So you're saying you're going to 
put lights in for customers? Is that yes, what you're Yes, we have a new decor, holiday decor service that well, we've just launched. Well, let's, you want to throw out that number. Are you taking reservations for that now? Yes, or? we are. You, you can call 602-788-0005, and a certified arborist will come out and evaluate your yard and, and give you a, a heads up on what you can do. Now, let's say I'm somebody that wants to really get in the Christmas spirit. Can I request you show up like an elf when you come to string them? <laughs> it, it's really a design for your yard. Um, it's a design for your yard, and it's it's designed to enhance your landscape, to, to really beautify it and give you the enjoyment of, of the holiday season. Yeah, and it's not just your trees. It's, it's, a, it's of course, your home as well. You know, we, we do the, the, the front edge of, of, of the homes and, the, and what, what can be reached from a ladder. And it's a service, so you don't have to put up the lights. You don't have to take them down. You don't have to change out a light bulb. It's installed, maintained, and taken down and stored for you till next year. Very cool. And if you're new to Arizona, one of the spectaculars that you've got to know about is uh, the Prescott's Courthouse Square. They start wrapping six weeks ahead of time so they're, they're probably starting now, starting now because yeah. it's the first saturday of december where they have the big lighting where at the downtown historic square at prescott around the courthouse they've got 180 trees they're up to 130 that they wrap in lights and then the first saturday of the month you get together in the courthouse square they do the christmas song they sing some carols and then flip the switch and it just the whole Boom. square lights up yeah, and I have a customer that's really excited about the holiday decor because her, her family isn't coming for Christmas, they're coming for Thanksgiving. So she wants it all ready for them Ahead to time, just sure. walk up to the house and and have the house all decorated. So. It's exciting. Yep. Yeah. And if somebody needed to schedule you all during the week, uh, what about a website? You had mentioned a phone number earlier, but most of us remember websites more than phone numbers. Yeah, <laughs> go to saveatree.com, S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E. Real easy, S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E dot com. Save a tree. And then the last thing, you had a bunch of bullet points here on on the benefits of wood chips. And talk about your chip drop program as it's available. Yeah, we are happy to drop off a, a chip, uh, a truckload of wood chips um, if, you, if we can tie it in with the, uh, our schedule, if we're in your area. But, yeah, wood chips are so amazing. You know, moderating soil temperature, reducing water loss through evaporation, promotes some nitrogen cycling. And, of course, we talked about the weed and the the dust control benefits. Uh, They are just – wood chips are are so good for your your yard in so many ways, so many applications. So feel free to give us a call on that. And it's an aesthetic thing as well. When we did ours, I had – multiple neighbors call me and ask me when I planted the trees. The trees have been in the ground eight years and they never noticed till they had this wood chip around them that really just made them pop. Yeah, they're really nice that way. Saveatree.com, John Eisenhower, Sarah Maitland, thanks for talking trees with us this Saturday morning. It's Thank been fun. you.